One of the most fascinating yet familiar stories in the Bible is the story of Gideon. But the problem with that story is that it had become, has become so familiar with many of us that we, we can skip over it or think we know it and miss the relevance that it has for the way we live our lives today. Um, if we had time this morning to read the whole story, it, it'd be worth it. It'd be a lot of fun um, because we would, we would truly witness miraculous power uh, of divine intervention. Uh, we would see signs that God uh, demonstrated like a rock that ignites into flame and burns a sacrificial meal. Uh, that's cool. Uh, we have a fireplace that you just flip a switch and it comes on. And that's really convenient, you know? But there was no switch. <laughs> there was no natural gas being run to this rock. The Lord just let it ignite into flame. And it burnt this meal. Um, we, we would also uh, see an appearing and then a vanishing of someone who is called the angel of the Lord. And we would see a fleece, a fleece of wool, a skin that is wool from an animal, and we would see that fleece that was drenched after one morning, after one night, and then bone dry the next, while the ground around it was the direct opposite both times. And Gideon uh, fleeced the Lord and wanted to be sure that what he was hearing from God was indeed what God was saying. And the Lord led him. By the way, nowhere else in the Bible do we see fleeces being used? So be careful making that your normal routine for whether you're going to obey God or not. Uh, we'd also read about God requiring, over and over again, a reduction in Gideon's army. Um, cutting them down from a respectable 32,000 men to just 300. Uh, and that was so that they didn't have this mistaken notion that they were responsible for their victory. I wonder how many times we go into war with the thousands and think somehow we were the ones that did it when it was really God that gave the victory all the time. And then we see this amazing victory that God did indeed give to Israel, including a, a God-initiated fear campaign that he instigated in the dreams of their enemy, the Midianites. He started giving them dreams that Gideon was going to be victorious over them. And Gideon snuck down close to their camp and heard them talking about it. Gave him, it bolstered his faith. And we would also see the psychological warfare that God had them initiate using trumpets and torches. And it caused them to self-implode. And it was a mighty victory for God's people. And it's such a great story. Like I said, I wish that we could just go there. It, it's so powerful. I love reading stories I'm familiar with and then hearing how the Holy Spirit speaks to me in them. It never gets old. There's always more revelation that God wants us to have. Praise God. It's such a great story, but what I want to focus on today, and we'll get to in just a few minutes, is I want to specifically focus on what the story teaches us about breaking free from strongholds. 
It's not your typical story you go to when you think of breaking free from strongholds. And yet there is a lot to be learned in Gideon's story. But before we do that, let's just set the stage and give us a foundation for why this is important by looking at Paul's words on the subject. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Derek Prince once said, if you're a citizen of God's kingdom, then you're automatically at war with Satan's kingdom. You don't get to opt out. The moment you become a part of God's kingdom, you enlist. You're in his army. That language makes some people uncomfortable, but it is very much in keeping with scriptural context. We're at war. We are fighting a battle. But God has not left us alone. He's not left us weaponless or defenseless. He has, he has fully enlisted us, but he has fully armed us as well. He's not given us a vict- He's not given us a, a job without giving us the tools and the weapons to see that job through. And those weapons, they have divine power in them. And they, they are the weapons that give us victory in this war. When you, if you read Ephesians 6, and I'm going to read some of that for you, it gives you even greater context for this war. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then Paul goes on to describe the armor and the weapons that God has given us. In verse 14, he says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. I'm sharing today on strongholds because of a testimony that Christina gave a few weeks ago during our fast. And then yesterday at our ladies' meeting, I wasn't there because I'm not a lady, uh, but at our ladies' meeting, Christina and Abby both shared with the women that were able to be there. And my wife says that it was a tremendous time. And what they shared about was the breaking free of strongholds of the pulling down of high places in our lives that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And we are all prone, whether we're 
we're all prone to these things. All of us. Now, there are some that believe that Christians can't have a demon. I don't believe that. So if you have a problem with that, I'm just telling you right up, uh, up front that I've seen way too many Christians that have struggled with demonic activity in their life to just assess that Christians can't have a demon. Now, I don't want to get into theological arguments this morning, but you need to know that as a church, we have seen many people come into freedom from demonic oppression that has been weighing on them for years. And Christina and Abby's testimony has been just that, that God is doing new things in them And I believe that he is doing new things in many of us. And I don't want to get weird or freaky. We're not going to bring snakes out here and start holding them over our head. That was a joke, but it fell flat. (laughs) But I don't want to inoculate us to the power that is in the word of God. I don't want to vaccinate us so that we don't have to... Well, that was a bad illustration right there. I I don't want us to just minimize the power of God that needs to be every bit as much real for us today as it was the day Jesus walked the planet. Now, there's a lot packed into these verses I just read, and it was really kind of naive of me to think that I could get through all that I wanted to share in one little sermon. Um, But I want to just draw two things out of these verses in 2 Corinthians and Ephesians that Paul talks about, and then we're going to get into... Gideon's story and see how it relates to all this. We need to consider two truths. Number one, we are in a war against spiritual forces of evil. We are. We are in a war. As Derek said, the moment you enlist in the kingdom of God, you are in war with Satan's kingdom. Number two, we've been given weapons of divine power for pulling down strongholds that keep us from engaging the real battle. Now hear me. We're in a spiritual war against, we're against spiritual forces of evil, rulers and authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness, Paul says. Spiritual forces, things that are invisible but are very much real and active and more real than maybe even the things we can see. Because many times the things we can see are the things that are being controlled by the things we can't see. And it's, it's supported throughout Scripture. But secondly, the weapons that we are given, they are powerful for pulling down strongholds which keep us from engaging that war that God's called us into. And so there's an element in which strongholds are different than those spiritual forces that are out there. They may be weapons of the spiritual forces, but they may just be something we've agreed with that's given entrance to all that force. Nonetheless, there is a warfare going on in here every bit as much as there is a warfare that is going on out there. When I say stronghold, what I mean is a mindset, a value system, a way of thinking that hinders our growth and prevents our obedience to the Lord. Okay, that's, that's my best definition for stronghold. It's a, it's a mindset. It's a way of thinking. It is a value system that sets itself up against God and his, the knowledge of God, and it prevents our growth and it hinders our obedience. It's something that starts influencing the way you think. And that's where most of the battle is going on. 
It's where the enemy loves to attack us in our thought life, in our emotions. It can be an idea. It can be an argument. Um, my version of the Bible says it's an opinion. It's not a truth, an opinion. It's an accusation. One translation says it's a pretension. It's pretending to be the truth. It's anything that exalts itself in our minds, pretending to be bigger and more powerful than God. That's a stronghold. So, with all of that being said, let's look at Gideon's story and see what it teaches us about breaking free from these strongholds that we can all be susceptible to. Verse 11 of Judges 6. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth, which is a type of sacred tree, at Oprah. No, at Ophrah. Not Oprah. A terebinth for you, and you get a terebinth. No, we're not doing that. <clears throat> he sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, the winepress is not the normal place that you would use for threshing wheat. And nor is it the place that if you were a mighty man of valor, you'd be hanging out in. So... Right off the bat, we see some real inconsistencies with the way God is seeing Gideon and the way Gideon sees himself. Might be a stronghold. I'm not sure that being a mighty man of valor means that you go hide to prepare your food, but that's what Gideon is doing. I'm not even sure that Gideon knew that the angel had shown up, which by the way, the angel of the Lord is more than likely the Lord himself. It's it's given that example in many instances in the Old Testament. And so here it says the angel of the Lord, and then later we're seeing that the Lord himself is speaking. So I, it may be to the angel and the Lord. I tend to think it's the same person. And the Lord himself shows up, and I don't think Gideon even notices. And, he, and he's sitting under this terebinth, this, this tree, where he can see what Gideon is doing, hiding in there in the wine press. But Gideon was too spooked, beating his wheat, trying to eat. Thank you. I was heavily influenced by the Super Bowl halftime show last week, so Uh, apparently not well enough. Dr. Dre would be embarrassed. Uh, here's, Here's what a stronghold does in your life. It makes you scared, and it forces you to hide where you're believing a lie that's exalted itself against the knowledge of God. It makes you scared, it forces you to hide, and you start believing a lie more than you believe God. But in that stronghold is where the Lord is also watching. He's sitting under a tree, seeing the struggle you're in. He sees you when you hide, when you're scared. And he has a better way. He's made you for more than the bondage you're in. He's made you for more than what you're experiencing. 
And that's why he says to Gideon, oh, the Lord is with you, oh, mighty man of valor. Not because his circumstances say that he's a mighty man of valor, but because God does. God doesn't address us as we are. He addresses us as we were made to be. He's done it over and over again with Abram, with Jacob, with Moses, with Jeremiah, with Peter, with Zacchaeus, with many of us. He doesn't look at us and address us as we are and our circumstances would dictate. He addresses us as what he made us to be. And that's an important fact. A lot of us see that the Lord is dressing us down. I believe the Lord is wanting to dress us up. I believe he's wanting to, by the way, he's already taken care of our sin. He's already dealt with the punishment of that. He's already made a way where there was no way. Why would he keep rubbing your nose in it when what he's paid for you is freely available to you? He doesn't want to see you there. He wants to see you as he made you to be. Not under the lie that has exalted itself against the knowledge of God, but with the reality that I am a mighty man of valor. And you are too, or woman of valor. He says, the Lord is with you. And that's the secret to all this. What makes us mighty people of valor is that God is with us. Apart from him being with us, we're doomed. But when God is with us, everything is possible. And when God is with us, we become mighty and brave. We become fruitful and faithful. Look how Gideon responds in verse 13. And Gideon said to him, please, Lord, please, my Lord. Notice it's a capital, a lowercase l. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And when all this wonderful deeds, and when all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of of Midian. I'm not sure Gideon had a sarcastic tone when he said it, but I can just imagine him saying, please. Please, are you kidding me? He's forsaken us. What's interesting is that he doesn't realize that the very one he's speaking to is the one he's complaining about. If God was really with us, he said, we'd be better off. We wouldn't be in this condition. If God was really as you say he is, if he really loved us, we would not be in this mess. Does that sound familiar? Have you heard anyone say things like that? Boy, I have. The sad thing is that I've said those kinds of things myself. Where are you, Lord? If if your word is true, if you really promise these things, why don't I realize them more? Here's the deficiency in Gideon's complaint. God had already told them why they were in this mess. Go up to verse 7, same chapter. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, 
Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Their mess was their own doing, not God's. They hadn't obeyed, and just like them, our bondage is because we have not obeyed. It's not because God has forsaken us. It's because we have forsaken God. Look at the response the Lord gives to Gideon in verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the land, excuse me, from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, here we go again. Please, Lord. At least this time he capitalized the L. Maybe he's dawning on him that he's speaking to someone more than just a stranger. Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And that changes it all. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. The only way to break free from strongholds is with the help of the Lord. It starts and ends with God. It, it starts when he first calls us up to where we were meant to be, having watched us even in the midst of our bondage, in the midst of our hiding, in the midst of our secrecy, in the midst of all the things that we're scared of, he calls us up out of that because he was there then and he will be with us till the end. His presence makes all the difference. And we have one who has come to bring us freedom by binding the strong man, is what Jesus said, and plundering that strong man's house. Jesus, Jesus, I, I'm trying to be careful. Jesus knew what his job was. And in bringing freedom and deliverance and salvation to us, he knew that he would rob and steal everything from the enemy that he had stolen from the Lord in the first place. Of course, he can't rob and steal it, I guess, since it was the Lord's to begin with. He would plunder the very strong man that had tried to take from the Lord what was only the Lord's. Here's how Paul put it in Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And look at this verse. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ Jesus. He plundered the strong man. He triumphed over all of those authorities and rulers that had been ruling the earth. And they now no longer have power over us. And the presence of God is what enables us to deal with the strongholds that still taunt us during our days. 
Now look what happened back in Judges 6, verse 25. After all this exchange with the Lord and Gideon and all that's been happening, here's what God says to him at night. Verse 25. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. While the oppression was coming from the Midianites, Gideon's stronghold was closer to home. What Gideon was facing as a stronghold was so much closer to him. In fact, it was generational. It had begun in his father's house. And yes, the Midianites were after them, but Gideon's biggest problem was the way he was seeing himself and the way he was viewing God. And when you have a faulty view of God, and a frail view of yourself in light of God, then you are in a stronghold and you won't be effective in dealing with the Midianites. And yet that's what God has called us to do. He's got to get us dealing with our strongholds in order for us to have freedom where we need to be. It was a generational thing that had happened. Having started in his father's house this altar to Baal and an Asherah pole beside it, God told him to pull those things down and cut them up and then build in their place an altar to God. Did you see that? Here's something I found true in my own life. It's the former places of your bondage that God wants you to build an altar to him right on top of. He wants to free you from the bondage that has kept you from seeing him as he is and seeing yourself as you are. And he wants you to tear those strongholds down by the help of the Holy Spirit and build in their place an altar to him. He wants you to worship him right where other things had been worshiped before. It's like he's just taking over every piece of territory, inch by inch, mile by mile, person by person. He is going to rule and reign, making a spectacle of all his enemies. Everybody has stuff they need to have dealt with. Everybody has stuff they need to be freed from. Gideon did. We all do. And that stuff is tied to the strongholds in our lives. Just like Gideon, we're not only called to wage war against the spiritual forces of evil that are around us, but also called to pull down the strongholds in our very own minds. The way we see things, the way we imagine things, the way we have believed things, the very place where those things once stood, God intends for us to build an altar to him. So what do we do now? What do we do in light of these words, in light of what God is speaking to us? Well, first of all, it's it's what my wife said to the ladies yesterday in their meeting. We must first agree with God. After all, a stronghold started by first agreeing with the enemy. 
When you agree with him rather than God, that's the beginning of a stronghold. The way you think, the way you see things is broken. We need to agree with God and refuse the lie that we once believed. That can be any number of things in your life. Any number of lies you can have cho chosen to believe rather than agreeing with God, you got to first say, I no longer believe that. I agree with God. I agree with what God has said, and I agree with what he is saying about my sin, about my condition, about my position in Christ, about my calling to himself, about my purpose. I agree with God, not with the way I feel, not with what I have believed before, not with any opinion or argument or pretension that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I agree with God. That's your first step. The second step is you're going to have to be willing to let the Holy Spirit clean your house. This is a little scary. To be vulnerable, to say, Lord, touch me, cleanse me, restore me, sweep this garbage out of me. I don't want to believe lies. I don't want to have a mindset that's opposed to you. I don't want to have arguments and opinions that have exalted themselves against you. I want your freedom. The Holy Spirit has come that we might have freedom. And because strongholds in your thinking are oftentimes backed by demonic forces, it might get messy. But wouldn't you rather be free? Wouldn't you rather agree with God? Wouldn't you rather be fully in the purposes and plans of God that he has for you, the mighty people of God, because God is with us? The last thing I think you need to do is we have a community and leaders that are willing to walk with you, to pray with you, to believe with you, and to seek God for deliverance in any area that you're in bondage in. I've heard it from so many people over the last number of months of how they have come to a place where they cannot break free. And then it comes to a place of praying. Some people gather around, they pray, they believe God, they start standing in the truth of his word. They start asking for freedom and then God begins to do something. It's not what we do. It's what the spirit of God does in us. Come, Holy Spirit. Set us free. Set us free from the things that hold us back. Break us out of what we once were held in, kept us afraid, and help us tear down strongholds that we might build an altar to you in their place. As Christina said a few weeks ago, imagine strongholds demolished and gone. Then we can forget what is behind and we can press on to what lies ahead. Don is going to share a few moments and then we'll pray. Yesterday at the ladies' gathering, um, Abby read a few portions for us out of My Utmost for His Highest. And Oswald Chambers, who wrote that devotional used three terms, co-crucifixion, that we are crucified with Christ, co-resurrection, that we are raised with him, and then co-eternal life, 
because that's the gift that comes when we walk that process. And so I want to read just a couple of sentences from uh, that, those items in his devotional. Are you prepared to let the Spirit of God search you until you know what the level and nature of sin is in your life? To see the very things that struggle against God's Spirit in you? And if so, will you agree with God's verdict about these things? If you agree with God about these things, then you have died with Jesus and can be resurrected with him. When that happens, the Holy Spirit invades you, and he takes charge of everything. My part is to walk in the light and obey what he shows me, but I belong to a new spiritual order if I've agreed with God's verdict about what he finds in my heart. Eternal life is not a gift from God. It is the gift of God. The energy and power which was so very evident in Jesus can be exhibited in you if you receive the Holy Spirit. The life that was in Jesus becomes ours because of the cross and because we agree with God's verdict. He wants us to be filled with all the fullness of God. So any effort to hang on to the least bit of our own anything (laughs) will only diminish the life of Jesus in us. We have to keep letting go, and slowly but surely, the great full life of God will invade us, penetrating every part. And then Jesus will have complete and effective dominion over us so that other people can see that we have been with him. Mm. 